0: Yeah, my name is Andre Bright. I am a Sierra Leone born, but I live in London at the moment. And um yeah, I just have a lot of interests. Culture, creativity. I'm a dancer and a architect, a socialpreneur, and I think through my journey I've just had different things that have happened that have opened my eyes out to different experiences.
1: Hello and welcome to Burberry podcast. I'm your host One Four. and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode.
0: So now I'm at a stage where I'm being drawn back to Sierra Leone and trying to um, trying to put the skills that I've developed into something that will benefit my home place. So um, that's where we'll probably cover quite a bit of that so in terms of the architecture and the business side of things but um yeah that's where i am at the moment
1: that's very interesting Of course, we're going to spend some time there I really, I really love that that is about giving back to our country where we are coming from yeah that is that is, that is lovely <laughs> anyway just before we get there just that that is something that we do here we're sort of fanatic about that in that we try to know who we are where we are coming from mm-hmm. i know you already said a, a bit about that for well, help me understand you, were you born in Sierra Leone or you were born in the UK?
0: Yeah, I was born in Sierra Leone and we moved here. Um, I, m- I might look younger than, <laughs> older than I actually, younger than I actually am. I'm, um, I was born in 1985 and we moved to UK when my mom was doing her PhD and that was about 1990. So that was a year before the civil war started and that went on for about 10 years and even though we were meant to be here just for a couple of years for that period of time, it ended up becoming a permanent solution. Um, And I think that was, to be honest with you, if I was to be real, that was the beginning of my separation from the culture because I started to be really ingrained into British culture and there weren't many Sierra Leoneans around. We moved into Reading at first. So there weren't even many black people around at the time either, um, apart from where I was living. I was living in a place called the Methodist Overseas Guesthouse. And just to give an idea of that, because those are two completely different worlds at home, it was a place where um, international students would come and live with their families before they get permanent um, accommodation. And they would stay there for about three, six, nine months. But we stayed there for seven years. So my friendship group, my understanding of the world, it was literally like living in the planet. So anytime there was like World Cup or anything, everyone was celebrating their own. And I think that was where my curiosity with culture in general began. Um, But yeah, we stayed there uh, for seven years and then moved to um, Reading and then uni, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I've been here ever since. It's only since... I think 2016, when um, we went back to Sierra Leone and I had an epiphany, Um, I I remember getting very frustrated that I couldn't, um, I felt the distance between myself and my fellow brothers and sisters back home. And I don't know, it bothered me. I remember having a moment with my mom and I said to her, I don't understand why when we go to any other country, we would do all these exploring, we'll do all these activities, we'd go here, we'd go there. By day three, we are able to manoeuvre by ourselves individually. But then whenever we go to Sierra Leone, which is the place I really want to connect to, we only go to my grandma's house, one of the beaches and church. And so, And I didn't even have the language at that point. So there were a lot of barriers for me. So I think that was the beginning of what what I'm experiencing now, which is that pull back to Sierra Leone.
1: Uh, that is deep there. And, and that is something that needs to be explored.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. You did say that uh, you left uh, one year before uh, the start of the civil war.
0: Mm.
1: All right. Um. What do you remember of that? Uh, now, okay, you are now in the UK. but well, yeah. of course you do. You left some people. There. How old were you when you left, actually?
0: I was five. Yeah, so really young. So it's it's a different, difficult one, because I think culturally, I still feel connected to Sierra Leone, despite, I mean, I go back every year now, but it's usually just for Christmas. Um, and at the time, I was just in a completely different environment, and not really understanding what was going on. It's only really now looking back that I was that I was really aware of the situation that was happening back home like we stopped communicating so much but I didn't really pay attention to it um and we actually traveled back in in 96 and I think that was for my grandma's birthday and it was in a lull like if anyone's familiar with the with the civil war it started out in the peripheries of Sierra Leone uh, because of It joined in with everything that was happening with Liberia and stuff. And it took its time to get to Freetown, which is where most of my family was located. So um, for all intents and purposes, it was um, the impact wasn't seen, especially with me being here in UK. Um, But now looking back, I remember things where I'm like, okay, now I understand what that was. So, for example, there was a, a situation where I remember having a call with my grandma and she had to come off the phone really quickly. And that was because rebels were at the door. And at the time, it didn't register. Um, it was just, oh, okay. I don't think I really understood what that term meant at the time. But you know, after a while, it was looking back and starting to connect the dots between all these things I experienced as a child and didn't understand. Now I'm like, oh, that's what that was. Um, so yeah, that was my experience of it.
1: The the explanation of the civil war is something that I would have liked to explore. But anyway, I don't think we we might have to do that again, because of course here, the podcast is is just, it's just for us to be able to explore ourselves. But today, I I think we we have something like 30 minutes or so. So I wanted to speak about, um, uh, your social entrepreneurship. Mm And of course, you, you decide which one is more interesting for you. Then of course we'll come back again next time to talk about some other area. What would you what would you prefer?
0: Yeah, I think the social entrepreneurship would be great because it's a project that um that it kind of I guess it's the most current for me at the moment. It's it's my vehicle back to Sierra Leone. <laughs> All
1: right. That that's interesting. All right. So tell me, uh Andre, how did you get into uh social entrepreneurship?
0: Yeah, so I, I think to be honest, I wasn't really familiar with the term at first. Um obviously everyone knows the term entrepreneur but socialpreneur i was introduced to it at a um at an event um and they were talking about the idea of social impact and entrepreneurism so the idea is having a vehicle for change which also generates income and i just really like the idea of that because i was very even before i travelled um i was very i don't know against the idea of um just giving people money or or something along those lines without necessarily and then just disappearing because I didn't see the sustainability in that in Sierra Leone we have a really I'm not going to say bad but we there there are a lot of NGOs for example who are doing great work but without them if they were to stop now they would leave huge holes in people's lives and I feel like that I think that was a red flag for me. So basically, whenever I create anything or whether I partner with anyone, I have a few things that I put in place. The first is an out in five policy, and the idea with that is that whatever we start, we start with the intention that in five years we should be able to let go, and that means we would have had to train people to take it over, um, because if we remain with the people reliant on us then it dies once we leave so um that's one of them and the other one is teach to teach which is part part of that that i just explained Um, as soon as we land we want to make sure that we're looking out for people who could be successors to this idea and once we find that and we find people with who are interested in the project who have like maybe a basic level of business acumen but mainly drive um, as long as they have drive, that I feel that they can be taught, um, and then we make sure that over the length of those five years, we have a cohort of people that know exactly what they need to know to be able to take a, take it over. So I'm in, I'm a dancer as well. So one of the things we did was through the performing arts. So we have a festival in Sierra Leone every year, and so I partnered with um, Patriotic Advocacy Network, which is a youth empowerment organization and Yusuf Jallo, who is a storyteller um, and together we kind of developed an idea they had already started but we created different spinoffs for the project so it started off with just a, a day and we with my addition we added uh, a couple of weeks of training which was for the actual performing arts obviously but also business um, and teaching them how to create partnerships, teaching them how to raise funds, teaching them how to do a marketing plan, all of those kind of stuff. And from that group, we found people who were real rising stars. Like one of our one of our um, success stories is this one girl who, within a year actually, because she had actually started by, she was already selling, I think it was flavored milk. Um, that she was selling at traffic lights and things like that. And we asked her questions like, you know, so where do you get these from? Uh, The ingredients themselves. uh, We taught her about the idea of supply chain. We taught them about the idea of clients and what that means. Like, how do you get recurring clients? And we coached her. So we partnered her with someone who was an entrepreneur back home as well. Came back a year after, and she had employees, and she was selling these things to um, at a commercial level to the um, what's to call it the commercial district in Sierra Leone, and it was incredible, you know, to see that turnaround. And that is something where we are having that impact on the community within that family, but we're also there is also uh, finances, there's cash flow coming through as well. So for me, that's where my interest comes. So now I've seen it working. Whenever I'm doing something, I'm trying to find ways where cash flow can exist within a like a social impact project.
1: Thank you for that. Well, uh, so I, I that, that was something that actually I was jotting that when you were explaining before in the initial part of the explanation about mm-hmm. NGO that. Um, if they were to leave Sierra Leone today, they will leave a hole uh, in the people's heart. Basically, okay, I, I understand that means that the people will be left uh, handicapped. Mm. They will not be able to solve the problem which the, ND, the NGO are solving for them. Mm. Um, that seemed to me to be very interesting uh, because that sort of um, epitomized the situation that we have in Africa or the so called relationship between Africa and the West that mm-hmm. somehow uh, it has been sold to us that we need to depend on somebody who will take care of us, who we help us, who we provide for us, mm-hmm. like little babies, like children. Um, that, is, that is hurting us. Sometimes we don't know, but it is hurting us a lot. So the question is, uh, through what you are uh, doing, through your work as a social entrepreneur, uh, how do we move away from this? Um, how could the work that you are doing is social entrepreneurship, Mm. help to uh, divert the attention away from NGO so that the local people cannot look at themselves and their ability to solve their local problem without necessarily relying on the NGO who might be in the pretense of happy Africans. Okay, I don't know if that is clear.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I think the first first one is intention. I mean, I I I don't have anything against people who want to help people, um, especially if you're in a position where you have resources and you see a gap or a solution to a problem. Um, I don't want to give the impression that I don't think that's a good idea because I think the world needs more of that. But intention is key. So for me, and and I'll give you a great example, like a, a story of this when the first year. I did my festival. When I got there, I had all these dreams of grandeur, I knew exactly what we were going to do. And on day one, and I had a team that came with me. I told them all, yeah, we're not doing that at all. Like we would be more harmful to their progress. If we did what we planned to do, which was effectively act as if we were coming there to save in some way, shape or form. But the problem with that is that there is a, with a savior, like you said, it means that there is a victim. And what I realized upon landing is that actually there is no victim in this situation. There is value on both sides of this fence. It's just exchange. And so the first thing I would say to anyone who's looking to get involved, no matter which side are you on, is having a kind of relationship where you're both on the same level. And you've got to have the intention and it's the same with, for example, coaching, you've got to assume the person is able, you know, um, and so that will be the first thing. And that honestly will affect how you build your business, your strategy. So in our case, there was the out in five pro- policy that was teach to teach, because I went there with the intention that I want the people I'm helping to be able to help themselves in a relatively short period of time. For me personally, there is no reason why I should still be there 30, 40, 50 years later if it's a problem I'm solving with a small group, which is where I find it painful when I look at how many NGOs are in Sierra Leone, 60 years later, you know? Um, The other thing that I would suggest is having teams which are built with both sides. One of the problems we have in the, in the West, in the diaspora, is that we are exposed to certain ways of thinking that we assume to be the best. Um, I'm living in UK right now, and there's definitely, and this is something I've had to really check about myself, is there's an element of British Empire thinking. The idea that we are the greatest, and we own the world. And I'm sure the States and the rest of the West have different elements of that as well and that can be really it it can be really detrimental to the relationships we have with the people we're trying to help because what that ends up happening is we hear something which is completely culturally accurate to their surroundings but because we have another idea which works where we're from we impart that and we force it onto them to override and one of the things i found that is also a problem is that if the people we're helping also have that image, they will completely put aside their ideas and just say, yes, anything you want. And that can be detrimental as well. Um, And an example, I have um, a friend of mine who's an anthropologist and she did a project um, in Zimbabwe, I think. And she was working on a farm there. and, And she said they sent her there because they were having problems with the crop yielding the the turnover and they had sent all these vehicles all this machinery and equipment to go and help solve the problem but then after staying there for i think it was like a month or so she realized that none of that would work because the roads don't work <laughs> right some of the simple stuff if you, if you don't uh, physically go there and experience some of the problems you won't understand what it actually is and the solutions you'll have are the solutions based on your context and not theirs. And I found that to be like some really, really big shift in my thinking that whenever I'm doing a project, I first have to have the intention that I'm that I'm there to um, empower and not save. And two, I need to make sure that on my team, there are local people who can tell me exactly what's going on. And three, I've got to spend time within the vicinity of the problem I'm trying to solve. Like those three things for me have really helped me come to um sustainable solutions. So now the um patriotic advocacy network, they they have a system which is working, you know, they have like five hundred young people on their books stretch across schools all the way around Sierra Leone, and they're they're doing their own projects now. they're raising their own money. they are, you know, they have a, a system where, you know, once you start in a school, you you get recruited into a chapter of their organization and then um, you become a leader of that chapter and then you end up in the top levels. And then at that point, you can start your own projects, et cetera, et cetera. It's a system that works. And I would only been able to do that if I had taken a step back and really understood them
1: Do you also get some proposals from there? Okay, I know that you are not a Western NGO. You are not speaking from uh from the Western perspective, even though you may have a lot of influence in the West, you are an Mm. African, you grew up from there, you have the the feeling that uh these people, your your friend, your brothers, your sister need your help. That is Mm. why you are there. Uh so the perspective is always gonna be different. But my curiosity is, do you also get proposals from them? Do you get also a kind of alternative proposal compared to maybe what you bring to them? Which are these, some of these proposals?
0: As in proposals from them?
1: Yeah, maybe, okay, say maybe, for example, you get to a free town or some part in Sierra Leone, you have this particular project you want to do with them. Is this something that they accept from you, or do they tell you they have another way of looking at it so that you have to Yeah, I mean, that's, to design that's something it. that we've we yeah, had yeah. to
0: work with them as with as well, you know. Um because at first the, the idea was very we just with the, with I'm thinking about this particular project. Um the idea was very far foreign to put together a pack, you know, a proposal for what they wanted to do. So we had to that was part of the teaching, you know. Um and it wasn't teaching as in, you know, you need to do this give them a template and all that kind of stuff but you know how would you communicate this idea to this kind of person what is the impact you want to um have um what would that cost you know all the things that you that you would want to cover in a in a proposal but we just ask them as questions and they found their own ways to develop their own way to communicate a proposal to us and it's the same that applies with everything else um I've had to really step back from thinking like a british person in a way (laughs) i don't know if that makes sense but like for example the way i would do a proposal might be different to the way they would would, they will do one what they would include might be different and sometimes i need to actually just sit there and say okay what, what what are they trying to say because i can look at something and see a gem in something that they don't see but vice versa. You know, I can also see something that doesn't actually exist or wouldn't work. And so there's been a few times where I would suggest something and they say no. And um, and I'm really glad that we have a relationship where they can do that. Because otherwise, we would be putting something and just becoming another another waste of time and and, and space.
1: Uh, I don't know if you want to say something more into the how you operate with them in that. Okay, now you get this project you want to execute there how do you go about doing it you find the people first you go there first to talk with the people They share the project with them can you tell me more about how you operate with them uh, in the sense of from the time you get the idea to how you get executed
0: yes 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 yes. okay so um i'm going to try and think of an example so the way the way it works at the moment is we have board meetings right so there's me there's Yusufu, and the head of pan And we would strategize based on what kind of projects we want to do through the year. What is the impact? Some of them will be good. Some of them will be not so good. The ones that are good, we can decide if we're going to go ahead with it or not. The ones which aren't any good, we can decide if if it needs to be adjusted or if it just doesn't need to happen right now. For the ones that do go, we're lucky that we have enough of a team to actually implement. So I'm here, right? I'm in the UK. And they're in Sierra Leone. And so we would literally get on Zoom pretty much every week when there's something that's that's come in, sometimes every day, and we'll just go through the problems one by one. So one of the things that I've that I have had to push for, however, is turnaround. So I there was an element where, you know, things happen when they happen. And for me, it's like, if that was to be the case, we would never meet our targets that we all agree. And so a lot of the time, it was really just chasing people, to be honest with you. Uh, We delegate, we break down a project into who's doing what. Again, their their organization had 500 people. So we could literally say, okay, this chapter is going to be focusing on this. These people are going to be doing the marketing. These people are going to be doing the sales. These people are going to be... Finding the venue, um, etc., and every day, sometimes mostly every week, we would get back on a call and we see what is happening. I would be asking for photographs. I'll be asking for reports and to be copied into emails. I would be, um, yeah, if 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 there's any kind of block, I might step in, but I try not to do that, especially after about year year three or four. So, for example, there might be someone they're trying to build a relationship with who is just not answering them or getting back to them. And unfortunately, if I, as a British person, was to do exactly the same thing, the doors might swing open. So sometimes <laughs> I've had to step in and either moderate or just be in a room to make sure that they're being taken seriously as well as me. Um, that's, that's something that I hadn't necessarily planned for but actually took a lot of time is not just teaching them or or working with them but also working with who they work with um that that has been like a really that that was was probably the most challenging i'd say and whenever we do um whenever we do anything we kind of just make sure there are successes that we can see and we celebrate those successes so um yeah um yeah I think that that's that's pretty much pretty much it to be honest with you, a lot of it is is in the thinking in terms of my my contribution. It's hearing the problems, coming up with creative solutions to them and hearing back from them whether they think that would work or not. and then working through the implementation with them like how did you do it? What happened last time? What was the hold up? Who was slowing you down? um what did that conversation sound like? Let's workshop it? you know give me a draft of this email um what time is that meant to be there i'm, I'm going to be calling them up to make sure they're uh, or i might find someone who's on the ground i've got family and friends back home and i say you know can you swing by this place where they're meant to be doing this right now but i need someone else on the ground to make sure that's been happening and then they'll go there and they'll send me pictures or whatever i need just to make sure things are uh, moving on smoothly.
1: Thank you for that. All right. Looking at uh, the development or maybe the type of, oh, sorry. Looking at the type of development that we have or we should have uh, in, in Africa, yeah. um, what, how do you see the role of social entrepreneurs like yours? Uh, maybe by people of African descent or maybe by Af- other, Af- because does it doesn't mean that you must be in the diaspora before you can do this kind of project. So I'm trying to see uh the importance of this kind of project in our uh social uh development in Africa. What do you have to say about that i th-
0: I think I think social social entrepreneurs I think are really necessary in in Africa as a whole. I think there's a lot of opportunity. it's one of the fastest growing economies um we have trade unions happening there's all kinds of movements and I think Most of the statistics would probably tell you that if you look forward, especially with our young people, like I I feel like in terms of our population growth, if we can access or empower those young people to be ready for the world that's going to be in the next generation, for example, we as Africans can really shift where we are on the global scale. I genuinely believe that. And I think that's going to come from people who are thinking about Africa in its potential. Um, as well as its present you know Um, it, it would make no sense to go there and say oh we could be this that and the other if if we're not also dealing with what's happening on the ground at the moment I think there's there's also room though for just plain entrepreneurs who are going to be creating jobs who are going to be solving the the you know infrastructure issues like for example in Sierra Leone we One of the things I've seen that is a problem is that, you know, whether it's energy or infrastructure, we are not in a position yet to be manufacturing our own goods. So we send out all our raw materials and then buy them back pre- manufactured and produced at a higher premium, which doesn't make sense to me. But until we solve that problem, um, our economy continue to plummet. And I think... Um, when it comes to social entrepreneurs, it's it takes people who will think to themselves, okay, we have the problem, which is on a huge scale, but it's also an opportunity. One, because we can solve this problem and have the knock-on effect later on. But two, creating a factory to do this will create hundreds of jobs, for example. And that, for me, is an example of a social entrepreneur who's looking at the problem, creating a solution that, that creates capital flow, but is also creating a solution that creates capital flow that has positive social impact on the local communities. Um, one of the things that um, that inspired me about this thinking was uh, a place called Watoto in Uganda. And um, I mean, it has its own issues. But one of the things I found that was really interesting is their circle economy they had with their projects. So they would take young people from um, who had lost their parents and parents who'd lost their children and they'll put them together and create families and those children would go to school and they would be educated and they would learn trades as they go through and then at the end if their trade was for example um, IT then they will be part of the internet and the the marketing for the actual Watoto organization if they were to go into farming they would farm the food that is that is um, consumed within the community if they went into textiles they would create the clothes that would be you know worn by the children within the community all that kind of stuff everything went back into each other and I really liked it and I was like I looked at it as a way of creating that positive impact for the local communities, but also creating capital, because those people then went on to provide services on a corporate level. And that completely changed the economic ecosystem within that community.
1: That's interesting. That's so interesting, I really love that. Mm -hmm. All right, Uh, because of um, uh, time constraint, and uh, also because the internet is not really the best today, uh could you share with me what would be your final thought here and please remember to add how can people reach you
0: um okay so my final thoughts um are we just need intention um there are we need to get rid of the victim mentality the savior mentality and i think we as africans in the diaspora for example are no exception to this one of the things that I, I went to Soweto in South Africa and I was there with a group of other black people and we, the reaction we got was surprise because they hadn't seen a group of young black people who would go to a place like that. They said they found that the people who did have money from the West would go to Cape Town and then flaunt it and they go out and do all this stuff. But then if people like us aren't doing the the work and we're not connecting, then we can't really complain when the wrong people do that and then capitalize off it so for me it's about us standing in the gap being the ones to solve it for ourselves and also creating things that are going to be scalable so that in the in the next generation of time we will start to reverse the effect that the last few hundred years has, has had on us
1: all right thank you so much uh, andre i appreciate it, time
0: yeah no problem at all it's been a pleasure
1: if you enjoyed this podcast make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes rate our review overhead podcast and share with your friends who might need it i remember thank you so much for listening i talk to you in the next episode